Hey everybody, it's T with Abduction Enigma Podcast. This week what I got for you guys is a talk from Dr. Leo Sprinkle on UFO prophecies and contactees, as well as a 1982 lie detector test. Betty Hill. Alright, let's get it. So before we get to Dr. Leo Sprinkle's talk, which is, by the way, from the UFO Symposium of 1974, I think it's important that we point out. As I've said on this podcast, when people are abducted or having the contact experience, they are shown images or visions of cataclysms, as well as a humanitarian message. And as you're going to learn from this talk, this happened all the way back in 1974. This happened before Bud Hopkins got on the scene. John Mack, Whitley Strieber, or the many others. It's a long-standing phenomenon, and I've mentioned that many times within this podcast. And it even still happens today. It is an odd commonality that keeps appearing, even back then. And as he postulates in this talk, I argue it is still valid today. Why? Are these dreams of devastation prophecies? Are they fears that we ourselves hold? Simply being shown to us from somebody else in order to make us change our ways? Or is it possibly a warning? Simply ideas shown to us of logical experiences that could happen if we don't act respectfully and accordingly. These are still large questions within the alien abduction and contact experience. Dr. R. Leo Sprinkle. The uh, history of the UFO controversy, as described by Jacobs, is filled with strange claims and eerie events. For some writers, for example, Class, Menzel, and Taves, these claims are nonsense brought forth by misguided UFO witnesses and by misled UFO investigators. However, other writers, for example, Heineck, Lorenzen, and Lorenzen, Salisbury, Valet, and others have described the UFO experience in terms of a display, including close encounters, abductions, and contactee cases. The emerging pattern of UFO activity leads to the tentative hypothesis of conditioning. The question can be asked, does the UFO phenomenon represent a program of cosmic consciousness conditioning? If investigators are willing to consider the question of psychic as well as physical manifestations in the UFO display, then other questions raise their silly heads. Some of the questions are like these. Are UFO prophecies in the physical realm or in the psychic realm? Do UFO prophecies represent future events which will occur? Or do they represent impossible events which cannot occur? Do UFO prophecies represent possible events if humans do not mind their manners? Do UFO prophecies represent a mirage of our fantasies and fears of the future? Or do they represent a mirror which reflects our own postures and pronouncements of the present? The problem of UFO prophecies is difficult to explore. There is a mass of information. However, there seems to be no easy method for analyzing the information. The general literature of prophecy has several features, including these. One, prophecies often deal with claims of covenants or relationships between humans and gods or spiritual forces. Two, prophecies often deal with claims of changes which will occur or must occur if humans are to regain or gain their rightful position within the framework of the cosmos. And three, prophecies often deal with terminology and symbols which promote a variety of interpretations. Historians are quick to point out that prophecies, revelations, and doomsday predictions usually increase at the end of each century. Thus, it's appropriate that we now observe an increase of Bible-inspired predictions of the end of the world. As a bonus, we also have an increase in predictions about UFO phenomena. However, for every UFO prediction which seems to be fulfilled, there is one which is not fulfilled. Examples, Jacobs has written about the incident described by Major Friend. I love that name. Uh, Major Friend was then the director of the Project Blue Book. He describes an incident in which six witnesses watched while one CIA officer went into a trance and apparently made contact with space people. The others wanted proof. The man in trance said that if they looked out of the window, they would see a flying saucer. Three men rushed to the window and saw a UFO. 
At the same time, the radar center at Washington National Airport reported a blockage of radar returns which occurred in the direction of the sighting. The CIA briefed Major Friend, who sat in on a later transession. He asked to be kept informed of later developments, but apparently nothing happened except for the transfer to other positions of the men involved. On the other hand, we have an incident described in the book by Festinger, Rieken, and Schachter when prophecy fails. Uh, this book offers a conclusion by a group of social psychologists that when specific UFO prophecies fail, true believers do not change their beliefs. They merely redouble their efforts in the same wrong direction. Well, we ask again, shall we dismiss UFO prophecies as a mirage generated by spacey CIA officials or silly occult groups in little towns across the USA? Do UFO prophecies merely mirror the doubts and anxieties about the future, or do these prophecies represent a portion of a much larger program to condition our belief systems and thereby change our actions and our patterns of behavior? A review of the literature offers uh, information, opinions, and speculations about the purposes and processes of prophecy, especially in regard to the questions about the evolution of humankind. Here are some examples. The, the Urantia book uh, of 1955 and uh, OAH, SPE, OSPE, 1882, are histories of the universes as well as the history of the Earth. A book by Chan Thomas called The Adam and Eve Story offers a theory of cataclysmic Earth changes. Other books dealing with catastrophic events and earthquakes include those by Goodavage, by Goodman, Valentine, Verscure, Weber, and Liss, and the anonymous geologist who analyzed Edgar Cayce's predictions about Earth changes. In general, these books are well written. In many instances, the writers compare available scientific knowledge with information which is obtained from persons who describe their clairvoyant visions or precognitive impressions. <coughs> Another group of books offer various theories about the process of prediction, prophecy, and synchronicity, including social and psychic factors. For example, the books by Loy, Vaca, and Vaughn. Yet another batch of books are based upon the writer's interpretations of biblical or religious revelations. For example, the Fatima of Prophecy is described by Connor, by Culligan, and interpreted by Stanford. A variety of books, some of which seem to be more sensationalist than sensible, offer the writers versions of the apocalypse or the end of the world. For example, books by Brooke, Ebon, LaHaye, Lindsay, Weldon and Levitt, Wilkerson, and the booklet Cosmic Awareness Speaks. Some writers provide their interpretations of the significance of UFO phenomena in the forthcoming, quote, New Age, end quote. For example, Beckley, Elkins, Hertak, Moyer, Peters, Puharich, Shuttlewood, Spangler, and Steiger. One writer with the marvelous name of Eden has written a book entitled Planet in Trouble, the UFO Assault on Earth. Another writer wrote a book whose title refers to economic predictions, but the title looks as if it could refer to UFO predictions. It's entitled How to Prepare for the Coming Crash. <laughs> Hoyleroyd has provided a fascinating account of meditational experiments or rituals which apparently were proposed by UFO personalities and conducted by three persons who are attempting to minimize warfare between Arab and Israeli armies. Tansley's book, 77, argues that most UFO phenomena are reflective of esoteric or mystical teachings rather than physical manifestations, and he concludes the purpose of these mystical displays is to shape the consciousness of the inhabitants of Earth. Spangler described two types of archetypal symbols for new creative energies, services which are symbolized by the prophet and by the priest. The prophet refers to consciousness which is divinely inspired, pointing out the need for change, approaching danger, and acts as a catalyst in order to inspire transformation. For the prophet, reality is that which must be changed, but the priest refers to changes which have already been accomplished so that reality is seen as the presence of the new, the redeemed, or the regenerated form of the world. For the prophet, the new age is yet to come. For the priest, the new age is already here. Spangler goes on to point out that our links with, quote, space brothers, unquote, are based upon consciousness. Quote, ultimately it is only consciousness which separates anything in the universe, not space, not time, but consciousness. Understand this and the key to all space contact in the new age is placed before you. Unquote. He claims that uh, med meditational practice will lead to, quote, building an ark. All who attune to and live this consciousness are absolutely protected, no matter what happens to the outer world. He goes on to say, you are being visited by other planetary beings, but they come to you now in higher energy bodies than before, and you must yourselves rise in consciousness if you wish to contact them. Unquote. 
Spangler concludes, quote, the Space Brothers will not come into relationship with you until you have evolved the capacity for cosmic brotherhood. Their interest is not simply that of helping you. They await the people of Earth to arise in consciousness so that you can begin working together to build greater patterns of life that will be interplanetary in scope, forming the bodies of truly vast cosmic beings who cannot incarnate save within energy fields provided by the united harmony, love, thought, and interaction of the races of several planetary systems." Unquote. Well, these are heavy statements to lay on our poor suffering souls. Is there any basis for accepting these statements as meaningful within our traditional knowledge? I tried to think of ways that I could conduct, quote, scientific, unquote, observations in order to test the hypotheses of UFO prophecies. I could not. So I decided upon a couple of methods of observations. After contemplation, I decided to participate in two rituals or two observations. In the second ritual at 1.20 p.m. Monday, November 12, 1979, I consulted the I Ching workbook by wing of 1979. I cast coins while asking the question, is the topic of UFO prophecies a significant issue in the eventual solution of the UFO mystery? I, obti I obtained the trigrams Ali and Tui, resulting in the hexagram 49, changing to trigrams Chen and Chen, resulting in hexagram number 51. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, hexagram 49 is entitled Changing or Revolution. Quote, the forces at work in the situation are in conflict, leaving the path open to change. Unquote. Hexagram 51 is entitled Shocking. Quote, the sudden force of stored and kinetic energy in the cosmos will be released in a powerful and shocking display, unquote. I don't know what this information means to you, but I regard it as one more question mark in the many questions about UFO phenomena. My first ritual was somewhat more traditional in, uh, in obtaining information. I gathered from my files a few of the materials which had been submitted by persons who claimed the experience of being abducted, examined, released, and then monitored by UFO entities, or UFO occupants, or you folk. Of these some 40 persons, I have conducted regular correspondence with several of them, and they send me copies of the messages or transmissions which they receive from their UFO mentors. Of course, they have no way to prove the alleged source of the information which they receive, but they are obviously sincere in their belief that they are obtaining information. Two of the men have obtained psychic impressions of, quote, future, unquote, armed conflict between Arab and Israeli armies. One had a premonition of the death of Robert Kennedy. The other man had described in an impression received in 1968 of Ted Kennedy becoming a presidential candidate and then being wounded in the shoulder during an assassination attempt. Two of the women received continuing messages of scientific and religious topics, including uh, schemata or devices for mass psychic communications. Two other women received impressions of, quote, future and, quote, learning centers and methods of educating humankind. Two other women receive impressions of possible earth changes and earthquakes. A friend of one of these women, whose uh, pseudonym is Stormy Winterstar, has provided these UFO prophecies. One, during the 1980s there will be a revelation for the UFO phenomenon. During this time we will become enlightened as to who they are and where they come from. We'll have a craft on the ground. Two, government officials will try and discount this, but the cover-ups will not be successful. In explanation of this, people who have had close encounters will rally and come forth to be enlightened. Three, one of my basic predictions concerns their base, which I believe to be inside the earth and is accessible to them through water also, for example, or in other words, oceans, lakes, rivers, as well as through the earth. I believe the main place for them to enter their base from the earth's atmosphere is around the polar ice cap. Four, it's my belief that there are many types of spacecrafts used for many reasons, and the majority of these occupants are friendly and nonviolent types. They are interested in research and study. However, I do believe and predict that we'll find those of war in outer space also. It seems to me that their base would be in the galaxy. We will find these beings more humanoid and violently aggressive. Five, there will be a ground war in the 1980s as well as a space war. The encounters of the two opposing forces will leave no mystery for us. It will be during this war that our questions will be answered for man to read. The aggressive forces of space will not emerge victorious in this war. Six, we will find that abductees and contactees are not carelessly selected, but carefully chosen people we will find that each one fits into the framework of the space age. When the space age dawns as a new era, we will learn how important these people are to the future of this continent and to the world. From observation, only the mentally strong can survive contact with the occupants of UFOs. Seven, I predict that we will find that from time of contact, the abductees are in a sleep state of, lear of learning and 
programming for the space age on almost a daily or nightly basis. Contactees are vaguely aware of this training program. However, known communication produces a barrier between them and what we call normal life. Eight, we will one day be in a position to view spacecrafts that are now obsolete to space creatures. Nine, we will learn that reincarnation is an important factor between present contactees and other lives aboard spacecrafts. Ten, during a time of war and other physical stress, people known to us now as abductees will disappear, leaving no trace. This is to say that I believe that they will become residents of the UFO bases or compounds as a protective measure for contactees. When this becomes necessary, they will become useful in their respective fields of higher learning. I believe that all the above predictions have now started to come to pass, and by the late 1990s, we will find that we have been negligent in our pursuits and will be faced with the universal truths of realities. Sincerely, Stormy Winterstar. Another person, uh, H.G., writes of possible future events. Quote, there has been much, much prattle about the rapture, each sect and denomination claiming exclusive priority in this event. None of them knows what it's all about, and the prattlers do their flocks a great disservice by misleading them into believing that their particular sect offers surefire participation in this great event. Celestial Command has exact detailed pr preparations for what they refer to as Operation Liftoff. This entails much, much more than the human mind can conceive. It allows for the coming in of celestial ships to carry the true believers to regions of safety during the time of the great cataclysms and geographic upheavals. As one source states, right intent will be the true passport. Liftoff will include those from every race. Orthodox secularism will have no bearing. There will be great turmoil among those remaining on earth, great famine, great pestilence, great fighting. This person goes on to say, in the final showdown, communist China will join hands with communist Russia to, quote, fight against the Lord, unquote. The final battle will be fought between the, quote, good guys and the bad guys, unquote. After Earth goes into new orbit, the good guys will come in and take over command of this planet. There will be an entirely new political and economic setup administered by Celestial Command, and interplanetary and even intergalactic communications will be reestablished. End of quotation. Another example, a 35-year-old woman who calls herself Gloria Archer experienced some strange events for, for 12 long years, which caused her much distress. She's a bright, attractive, and perceptive person. However, she was raised in a family who value family unity, nationalism, traditional views of common sense reality, and a fundamentalist Christian belief. She was unable to talk with her family about her UFO experiences, which included out-of-the-body experience, near-death experience, abduction, bodily and sexual examination, mental communication with UFO personalities. Results of psychological inventories indicated that her profile of scores were in the normal range of scores for USA adults. Hypnotic suggestions to recall and relive her UFO experiences were helpful to her in recognizing that she had experienced direct contact with alien beings. Gloria Archer has described the effects of her UFO experience as shown by the following excerpts. Beginning the quote, changes brought about in the inner me as a result of this experience. After my experience, I knew that I'd been privileged with a glimpse of something infinitely wondrous and profound. My inner consciousness had undergone a complete and staggering metamorphosis. Those truths I had been taught through the years by my church, family, parents, and teachers no longer were valid to me. These beliefs have been replaced by an understanding of the process we call creation, and I know our earth science and education are not yet beginning to suspect the universal laws that govern the creation of worlds within our universe. The following is a synopsis of the changes brought about in the inner me as a direct consequence of my experience. And I'll read uh, just uh, briefly some of the excerpts uh, from those statements. One, I've embraced a faith of cosmic conditions. Two, I no longer have allegiance to any particular form of earthly government, political system, race, economic, or social structure. My only allegiance is to my Creator and to the cosmic Christ. Three, I have continued to be obsessed with an expanding desire for truth and understanding of Earth's and man's evolutionary progress. Four, I have studied the mind and altered states of consciousness. Five, I am a firm believer in reincarnation. All of us are immortal souls and we are responsible for what our minds manifest around us. Six, I have strived to balance myself, to evolve physically, mentally, and spiritually into a more balanced human being. Seven, I have tried to live my principles and moral laws within myself. Eight, I have vowed to serve the universal law. I try to feel and live the law of love for others. Nine, all my life is one. We are part of the stars, oceans, all creation. Ten, I have no fear of death. Eleven, my mission is to earth citizens and environment. 
Unless the consciousness of humankind is raised, we will ultimately destroy the work of eons, ourselves, and the present environment of our world. Twelve, man is facing a crucial period in his evolution as a species. Thirteen, I believe in a father, mother, God, a balanced interchange between the creativity of both sexes. Fourteen, I have the knowledge that we are unknowing participants in a living universe. There are other life forms, other worlds, other dimensions. Fifteen, I'm experiencing loss of interest in the accumulation of material things. Sixteen, basically I have become a pacifist. War depletes, it does not enrich. Seventeen, I have the knowledge that the world's fuel must be water. I feel a total disagreement with any society that pushes the use of nuclear fuel or weapons. Eighteen, within myself I experience the consummation of science with religion. After many years, I now realize and know that my own transformation was not and is not a single experience here upon earth. There are literally hundreds if not thousands of people who are and or have experienced this metamorphosis. Our numbers are growing yearly and we are beginning to locate and communicate with each other. An alien invasion has already occurred on earth. The conquering power is not military or technological economic superiority. It is a revolution in consciousness and spiritual knowing that has been implanted within the minds of thousands of people all over the world. The future of this world is passing into the hands and minds of these people. Those of us who have been contacted no longer serve the old orders. We fear nothing, least of all the threat of death or physical deprivation. We are here now. We walk among you daily, we pass you on the streets, stand next to you in the elevators, and you see little of what is moving daily to closer to completion. We are among you and our force is the force of mind governed by a morality and an ethical code that upon earth is incomprehensible. End of quotation. I think it's interesting to note in regard to item 7, quote, I have the knowledge that the world's fuel must be water, unquote. Uh, I noticed in the Denver Post of November 13, 1979, an Associated Press news item about work being conducted in the Sandia laboratories in Albuquerque, New Mexico, regarding a particle beam fusion, fusion accelerator which was described as the only one of its kind outside the Soviet Union and as a type of nuclear reactor which, if successful, would be fueled by nature's most plentiful resource, water. And this young woman has uh, no knowledge of this kind of uh, scientific uh, work as far as I can determine. Well, the question arises, what do UFO prophecies tell us about the possible purposes of UFO personalities? Here is a model of these claims or uh, speculations about UFO experiences and related conditions. UFO experiences are one segment of a plan to transfer humans uh, from planetary persons to cosmic citizens. UFO contactees have been chosen. No UFO contact is accidental. Two, contactees are ordinary people who exhibit a caring or loving concern for all humankind. Three, contactees have an experience which can be viewed as a manifestation of their ideas of reality. Four, UFO experiences include paraphysical, parabiological, parapsychological, and paraspiritual manifestations which are designed to influence the, quote, worldview of contactees. Five, contactees receive information during and after their UFO experiences which is related to their life interests, for example, natural sciences, ancient civilizations, psychic phenomena, and metaphysical or spiritual knowledge, etc. Six, contactees are gently coerced into studies and activities which blend with the ultimate purpose of UFO entities. They are not forced to be obedient to UFO personalities. Seven, contactees are initiated and maintained within the general framework of contactees' views of reality. Thus, UFO contacts can be reviewed as real, face-to-face -face encounters with flesh and blood beings, or UFO contacts can be viewed as dreams, fantasies, and subconscious ideas which are manifested consciously. Eight, contactees are programmed for a variety of future activities, including awareness of their own contacts and a desire to share their message and knowledge with other contactees. Nine, the lives of contactees move in the direction of greater self-awareness, greater concern for the welfare of the planet Earth, and a greater sense of cosmic citizenship with other beings in the universe. And ten, the personal metamorphosis of UFO contactees is the forerunner of a social transformation in human consciousness which now is leading to changes in the economic, educational, military, political, and religious institutions of nations of the earth. Summary and conclusions. On the basis of the various claims and the materials submitted by UFO contactees, 
We are not able to determine if UFO entities exist. You may recall that Eileen Garrett, the renowned psychic and medium, who was able to main, uh, obtain psychic impressions, which later were verified, was asked if the sources of her impressions actually were discarnate spirits. And she replied, on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I say yes. On Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, I say no. And on Sundays, I'm not sure. <laughs> well, in the same vein, these good persons are not certain about the sources of their messages or transmission. However, on one point, they all agree. They feel as if they are receiving information from sources who seem to be highly intelligent and deeply ethical. They feel that their lives are enriched. In conclusion, I suggest that we consider the work of a social psychologist, Loy, who has written a book entitled The Knowable Future, A Psychology of Forecasting and Prophecy. He claims that his book shows, one, how the future can be read, two, that this is a natural capacity within all of us, scholar and non-scholar alike, and three, that this ability can be strengthened and made more socially useful through methods for the, quote, pooling of visions, unquote. Loy offers the book in the hope of bridging the gap between rational and intuitive predictions, quote, to make the intelligent use of mind more palatable and of unconscious mind more respectable, and to readers who need knowledge not merely of one or the other, but of both, unquote. I wonder what knowledge might arise if UFO researchers and UFO contactees would sit down together for a pooling of visions. Thank you. Let's give a breakdown of some of the key things that I heard in there. He talks about a story from a guy named Major Friend about a CIA operative that was channeling and claiming he was in contact with UFO occupants at the time. Well, the six people that were with him wanted proof, and three ran to the window when he said, Look out the window and you'll see a UFO. And there one was. It was also found that there was radar blockage at the time, implying that a UFO was captured on radar, or something odd was going on. Now firstly, I don't believe in channeling. It's a bunch of woo-woo stuff, that's where everybody goes nowadays. You can't verify it, therefore I don't believe it, and I'm sorry if that offends you. For somebody to enter your mind and push your consciousness aside, is something I just can't buy into. But let's say that he was literally in telepathic communication with somebody at the time. Still woo-woo, but a little less woo-woo. I think that the contact experience has shown many a time that this is how communication is held. And I think it makes a lot of sense that they're saying, hey, look out the window, you'll see our crap. That makes a little more sense, I suppose. It's still really odd. I would really be interested in talking to this CIA man. But then again, it was from a very long time ago. And honestly, I don't really know what to make of the whole story. To me, it is that of a story. We also note that he says, When UFO prophecies fail, UFO believers do not change their beliefs, but rather double down. And you find this true in many cases. Especially nowadays, because that critical thinking portion of some people isn't there. Now, I don't mean that to be an insult, it's just some people, if they're presented with evidence that it wasn't a UFO, or maybe they didn't have a contact experience, they become real agitated and choose to believe rather than writing it off because it might not be the case. And we even see that with the UFO hoaxers that fooled UFO hunters from a previous episode. We also note that he speaks about how some prophecies were fulfilled while others were not. Now immediately my mind jumped to John Keel in the Mothman prophecies, in which he allegedly was told from one of these beings or euphonauts through a contactee of an event that would happen, a big blackout. And while John Keel waited with candles lit, waiting for everything to happen on Christmas or Christmas Eve, 
it didn't. While in that same book, another prophecy was fulfilled. Now is it a numbers game rather than a prophecy? Could they be showing us events statistically likely to happen and others that might not but have that mere possibility of happening? I just thought that was a important note. We then go into his contacts with Stormy Winterstar and some of the prophecies that she had. Now I didn't go over all of them, but I did take down the most important ones. As I was listening, I took notes, and I thought that would be the best option. In the 1980s, we will figure out who they are or where they come from, and we'll have a craft on the ground. Well, as we can tell, that did not happen. Now this next one I found extremely interesting. It was almost implying that there was going to be a government versus experiencers thing going on, in which the government would try to cover up the UFO that had landed and all the knowledge that gathered, and the experiencers would win, implying that the experiencers would show us the truth. There will also be a ground war in the 1980s, as well as a space war. Well, as we can see from that, that also didn't happen. Abductees and contactees are carefully chosen to bring us to the space age, and only the mentally strong can contact UFO occupants. So listening to some of these so far, my conclusions were this person has a bit of a delusion of grandeur. They're going to prove that they're right compared to the government and that they're special or a prophet. I wrote down prophet next to it on notes because normal people can't speak to UFO occupants, which is just utterly asinine. Another one was abductees are taken nightly. Well, that is not the case, and that is proven now. I don't know the frequency in which people are taken, but it is not nightly. And if that were the case, they would see glitches in people's camera nightly, in which you set up a security camera, you have an experience, camera cuts out, something like that. Or something would be caught on camera by now. I would have to think. Now, of course, that is just speculation. Reincarnation is an important factor between present contactees and other lives aboard spacecraft. How very interesting that is. I see a correlation between that and what we hear now. And it is not that I believe that theory. Here is the interesting part that most people who are hypnotically regressed, and maybe that should be my next episode, is about hypnosis. They are the ones who come out with these reincarnation ideas. Anybody else who comes out with a reincarnation thing from an experience like that is always hypnotically regressed. This might not even be on part of the regressor, but it very well could be from leading questions. But interestingly, I think our minds begin to search within that time period of hypnosis for almost a greater knowledge. So of course, under hypnosis, you go into a past life in which you are a reptilian on a dying planet. And this is a story I heard. Of a dying planet in which you are the head of a reptilian army watching a comet come. But still you stand strong with your pride and your strength. This was from a female abductee who was going through hypnosis and went into a past life regression. Now that's just my recollection of it, and it stood out to me, and it always will. To find that would be a challenge, but I bet I could do it for you guys if need be. But you'll notice in what I just said, that is, 
this empowering strength thing. That same empowerment that somebody who maybe doesn't feel that powerful all of a sudden has. And there is a reason that regressive hypnosis, there's a whole section of it just for past life regressions. The two seem very entangled, and it's not because the UFO phenomena and the past life regression phenomena are one. But it is simply the phenomena of hypnosis. But I digress, that will be for a later episode. Abductees will be taken with no trace. And I put down right next to that rapture. And what she meant was, you know, as he explained, living on the craft, that kind of thing. Again, we see these religious things keep coming up with this woman. And in the 1990s, we will know all. And yet the UFO phenomena is still a mystery. Now, I just found it very interesting and thought it needed to be put in here. And you see these same tropes with Gloria Archer, who he also speaks to after her hypnosis. She talks about a very humanitarian message, a space Christ, a reincarnation theory. And she comes from a very religious background. Now, we do often find this with the abductees, but is it the work of the hypnotist or not? Is it perhaps underlying ideas that these people hold? that are coming out on their own or being brought about by the hypnotist. This is a very interesting talk, and it brings about very many questions. Do I think these people are lying? No. Do I think they're being influenced? Maybe. And I even think that maybe they actually had experiences in which they were told these things. But it doesn't mean... That these people were prophets. Now the next one is Betty Hill lie detector test from 1982 from F. Lee Bailey's show Lie Detector. Lie detector. Hosted by renowned criminal attorney F. Lee Bailey, a man with 28 years of experience in lie detection. Counsel for the defense in some of America's most sensational jury trials. A man who goes anywhere for the truth. With him is Ed Gell, noted polygraph expert and past president of the American Polygraph Association. And behind it all, the polygraph. Perhaps science's most effective means of determining truth or deception. Bailey. Gill, the polygraph, all working together on lie detectors. Eddie, uh, people who claim to have close encounters of the third kind, if you will, are scrutinized by our society very carefully. This all happened 22 years ago. 1951. In the wilds of New Hampshire. Well, the mountain area. Okay. You tell us how it happened. All right. Uh, my husband and I were returning from Montreal. Mm -hmm. And it was a Tuesday night, and during the night, it was, we're going back home through the White Mountains in New Hampshire, and it was out of tourist season, there were no cars, all the facilities were closed, and we were all alone in the highway, and we're traveling along, and all of a sudden, we saw what we thought at first was a star, a new star in the sky. So we pulled over, got out of the car to look at it. And while we were watching it, it passed over the face of the moon. And of course, we knew then it was not a star, so we thought it was a satellite. And we returned to the car and started driving. Then we discovered that it had also turned and was following us. And as we came past Indian Head, this craft left the top of the mountain, came out over the highway, and stopped. Did it land? No, it was just sitting there above the highway. Oh, Oh, I would say about a hundred feet up, no more than that. So what did it look like? Double row of windows and a red light on each side. A red light on each side? Mm -hmm. Okay. How big was it? Uh, well, I know now, but at that time I didn't know. 
and I know 65, about 65 feet across. That's all deep. Uh, probably 25, 30 feet. How's it in the shape of a saucer? No. What was the shape? Uh, I would describe it more like, you know the old-fashioned straw hat that many wore yeah, sure. with the brim and it goes up? Sure. It was more like that. So it had square contour. Right, and it had the double row of windows. All right, now you stopped the car, I presume. Mm -hmm. How far from the object did you stop? Not very far away. I really, a couple hundred feet maybe. All right. Was and it brightly lit? No, we could just see the, the, the lighted bow windows and the two red lights. All right, you were your husband, Barney. Mm -hmm. He was driving. What did you do? He decided to take the binoculars, go out, cross the field, go up to the craft to get a good look at it to try to find, figure out what it was. My binoculars is only a couple hundred feet away. Well, so he could get a good, if there's any markings or mm -hmm. identification numbers or anything what like that. What were you using for light at this point aside from It was a moonlight at full moon. That was the only light we had. Okay. Was it clear? Yes, very clear. So Barney walked with the crowd, looking up at us. I remained in the car. And he's looking up, and that's when he saw these beings standing in the window, looking down at him. And he had a feeling of being immobilized in some way. And the red lights parted from the edge of the craft, and the craft started to descend. And at that moment, Barney got into a panic, and he had the feeling that they were going to try to grab him, to capture him, and he came running back to the car, almost hysterical, saying we had to get out of there. They planned we were going to grab us. We were speeding down the highway. In which direction? South. Away from the car? Well, as he ran back to the car, the object moved over the car. Mm -hmm. And as we took off, he was yelling at me to look out, that it was right over the car. Mm -hmm. And I put the window down, and I stuck my head out the window. What could you see? I couldn't see anything. So all I saw was darkness. Mm -hmm. I didn't see the moon or the stars or the sky. Did you hear any noise? Was it making any sound? No. But at that point, there was a beeping sound. Beep, 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 beep. And the car vibrated. And then everything became sort of hazy. And we kept saying, where is it? You know, and we were looking, and we didn't see it. Mm -hmm. So then, after the second beeping sound, we drove home. Now, when we arrived home, the first thing we noticed that the trip had taken an unusually long drive. It was at least two hours longer than what it should have been. Okay, now, home was Portsmouth? Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Okay. And from the White Mountains, that should have taken about a couple hours? Oh, uh, maybe three hours. Tops? Yeah. When you got home? Did you realize you had a strange experience, or did you just realize you were late? We realized we were late. Uh, no other things, like uh, my dress was torn. Mm -hmm. Where? Uh, it was one of these dresses that I had to get built in lining, mm -hmm. and uh, the hem was torn, stitching. Uh, the built in swept, the seams from the hem to my waist were torn open. Uh, there was stitching ripped from the zipper in the back. And it was, a, it was the second time I'd ever worn the dress. We'll be back to continue with Betty Hill's experience right after this. So you had a memory of the strange-looking yes. spacecraft of some kind. Yes. The straw hat with a window. Mm -hmm. uh, what was the next thing that happened? Well, uh, we did call Seas Air Force Base and report seeing a craft. Right, that's right, in Portsmouth, right. the side base. Exactly. And what did they say? Uh, they called us back several times, questioned us over the phone and all. We did not, Bonnie did not mention seeing the beings in the window. Okay. We left that out. We figured telling you about it's always enough. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we did that. then we tried to forget it. And, but you um, didn't forget No, because Barney's health began to fail to the point that he became totally disabled. He wasn't able to work. So his doctor sent him to a psychiatrist in the same building to see if there was something emotional that was preventing him from getting back on his feet. What was the result? We went to him uh, every Saturday morning for two hours for seven months. He put us into medical hypnosis. Our sessions were done individually. And at the end of each session, he gave us amnesia so that we could not remember what had happened and therefore we could not discuss it with each other. What did Dr. Simon find out? Well, uh, we went back and 
we were leaving Ruth Ray, going onto a side road, going off the side road onto a narrow, another side road. And as we did, the beings that Bonnie had seen on the craft were blocking our light. The car motor stalled. Where was the spacecraft? Well, the fleet, I'll tell you. The motor stalled, and Bonnie's trying to stop the car at one stop. And they separate and come up in two groups. And that's when we both panicked. Up until that time, we were fairly calm. They came up, they dragged us out of the car, passing the woods to where the craft was on the ground. Now describe these beings. What did they look like? Now, there was one of them. And there were individual differences in each one. Were there great differences? Uh, they, I would say they, the tallest one was about my height, which mm-hmm. is about five feet. Mm-hmm. And the shortest one was maybe three and a half feet. All right. Now, you once helped the sculptor make mm-hmm. a representation of your recollection of what these people mm-hmm. look like, and that's it. That's not a good concept. Composite of all 11. Right. right. The, the basic characteristic. The large eyes sliding upward, the small nose, very small nose, mm-hmm. a thin slip from the mouth. No lips, apparently. Now, they had a great tone to the skin, because they're living beings. That's what they look like. Could they speak? Uh, they touched them in themselves. They had their own language. And one of them spoke English. Were they dressed in any way? All right. They were all wearing a one-piece dark outfit. And then some were wearing jackets. Some were wearing caps. Not all of them. But the one who talked with us was wearing a black scarf around his neck. He was going around the When did he talk to you? Uh, when he was taking me to the craft. First of all, I got sort of, I got sort of blanked out of it. And I brought myself out of this. And I'm walking on the path in the woods. And I look around and, you know, here's Bonnie. Bonnie's sort of uh, sleepwalking. It gives that impression. And there's one on each side of him helping him along. So I just. He was quite a bit bigger than all of them. Right? He was kind of like, yeah. So I turn around, I'm trying to bring Barney out of whatever this condition he was in. Barney, wake up. Is Barney his name? And I wouldn't answer. When they tried to take me on board, is when I was really baffling. But they overcame me. <laughs> and I had to go. And I went into the corridor and I went into one room. Barney was taken into the second room. Uh, the leader came in, and then the one I called the examiner, and they checked my eyes, ears, nose, throat, took a sample of my hair, scraped my skin, and then they um, put me on the table and said they were going to check my nervous system. And then they took this needle-like instrument and tried to, I guess they said they were going to insert it in my navel, and I'm saying, no, 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 it's going to hurt. And they say, no, it won't hurt. And they started. And it did hurt, so they stopped. Why did they want to put that thing Well, you know, this, I asked them, why are you doing this? And they said, that's a pregnancy test. And I said, that's no pregnancy test here. All right, well, in 1961, I don't think it was a test of anything. Since then, it has been used, the needle through the abdominal section for a variety of things. Right. One is to find out if the fetus is going to be deformed. Right, now it is. But it wasn't even known then, was it? Right, not in 61. We'll be back with more of Betty Hill's extraordinary story in just a moment. And after your examination. I then, when mine was, the examiner had completed mine, he left and went into the next room where Bonnie was. Uh, because by now I'm beginning to overcome some of my fears. Uh, I'm beginning to believe I'm going to be on my way home very soon. And so I started walking around and I said to the leader, I want to take something home with me as evidence that this has happened. I want some proof. You thought maybe they carried souvenirs around like the World's Fair. Okay. That there was a flip. And he gave the book to me. And I looked at it briefly at that point. And then uh, I said to him, I know you're not from this planet. I'd like to know where you're from. So he showed me the star map. And he said, do you know where you are on the star map? And I said, no. That is a rough star map, and that's something that you yourself drew. He explained it to me in this way. He said, uh, the heavy lines are either trade routes or places that we go frequently or occasionally. Mm-hmm. And the broken lines are expeditions. Uh-huh. 
on that map, there are two stars not connected to any lines which are over on the left side of the screen. Mm -hmm. Those stars were not known in 1961 to anyone, were they? Right. When you drew this map under hypnosis, did you present it to anyone? Did you show it to any astronomers? Not at that time, no. Well, at some point. But uh, I, I saw it in 61, I sketched it in 65, and then in 1969, uh, a woman researcher from Ohio became interested in it and did all this research and identified the star pattern. Okay, but in 65, when you sketched it, you were told there were no such stars as stars. those two on the left, right? right? All right, continue on. We're still in the spacecraft looking at the star map. Saw the star map. The when I came back in the room and he started tugging at my teeth. And I said, you know, what's wrong? And you explained to them they were attached? He said, we're very puzzled. Why are Barney's teeth removable and yours are not? So then I tried to explain, well, sometimes when we get older, we lose our teeth, or poor diet, or accident. And so then he's asking me, well, what's diet? What's older? What's accident? And it was at this point that I discovered that uh, many of the simple words that I was using, he lacked the understanding of these. They weren't his vocabulary. Right. Did you have any idea as to the age of these people? Did they give any clue or description of themselves? Nothing at all? No. I would ask two questions. Where are you from and when do I get out here? Uh -huh. So then, uh, after that, they came bringing Barney out. And so now I'm really happy I'm going to leave. So I went over and I picked up the book. And I'm walking out of the class with the book. And the leader's walking beside me. And as I said, it was loving. One we call the leader, one the examiner, and the other nine I call the crew members because they stayed out in the corridor. Mm -hmm. oh, I'm going out with the board and suddenly there's all this hubbub with the crew members. And the leader took the book away from me. He said they objected to my having it. Therefore he was going to tell you. Well, what was in the book beside these star maps? Was there no, wasn't, writing? no, wasn't the star map on the star map was projected on the wall. I see. The book what was in the book? I looked at it just briefly, and there were symbols, and we're going up and down in columns rather than across. But nothing you could recognize? Nothing I recognize. Have you ever seen anything since that was no. completely fine? No. Did they let you go? They, but he took the book. He had the book? He took it away from me. Right. So you couldn't leave with any evidence at all right. that you'd been aboard this weird craft? Mm-hmm. Okay. When did all this come to your recollection? When did Dr. Simon permit you? to remember all the things you've been telling him, and I presume this was all on tape, was it? Oh, yes. Uh, well, we underwent these sessions for quite a while, and then towards the end, I would say maybe about a month before the sessions ended, he said to us, uh, I think now, if you want to, you can start remembering, uh, if you want to. And then we get little flashbacks. And then he decided we were ready to open up the amnesia completely. You and Barney were interrogated separately under hypnosis during the treatments. How closely, apart from the time when you were split for examination purposes, how closely did your recollections match? We both told the same experience, but from our own viewpoint. Mm -hmm. But were the major details in place? Is yeah. the sequence, what the people look like? Yeah. I believe Barney, while under hypnosis, drew a sketch right. of one of the creatures, and it didn't look too differently from the sculpture that you helped right. to make. Okay. Second question. Barney had a lot of illnesses with no apparent right. physiological cause. What happened to his medical condition? After the hypnosis, Barney hmm. he went back to work. All right, now Barney has work. since died, has he yeah. not? Was that from any of the symptoms that were troubling him when he went to see Dr. Simon? No. This was from a stroke? This was from a stroke. And uh, it was from the atmospheric pressure. It was probably a weakness that he'd been born with. I see. And we were in the midst of a great snowstorm. Right, he was a very young man, was he not? Forty-six years old. You don't connect that in any way with this experience? No. The fact that he died at 46? No, I don't. There has been a book written about this whole episode, mm -hmm. a movie made by the same name, right. Interrupted Journey. The book is Interrupted Journey. You have been questioned by, I don't know how many people. No, all kinds of it. You're satisfied that this all really happened and it wasn't, in fact, a nightmare induced by... Okay. Oh, it really happened. And uh, actually... Did you get to touch one of these people? No. They touched me, but I didn't touch them. Did you feel any body temperature? Were they warm? If I put my hand on you, if I were dead, you'd know in a hurry. Yeah. 
should be over. I'm noticing a difference. But later we did go back and find the capture spot. We did? Mm-hmm. Do you have any idea what the power was in the spacecraft? Do you ever hear any whistling noises or anything like that? Well, it was sitting on the ground. Oh, well, we were leaving. They did say, the leader said to me, why don't you wait until you sleep? And we did. And uh, I was standing there by the car, and it was uh, it was almost like a fiery substance. We were going from revolving around and around the craft. Mm -hmm. And then the craft lifted out of this. How fast did it accelerate? It went, and then it dropped down, and it was gone. Any communications at all with these aliens is...
Eddie's story first emerged under hypnosis following nightmares on her part and an unexplained deterioration in the physical condition of her husband, Barney, a medical hypnotist, a psychiatrist, was recommended. And this is what he found. We can only test whether or not she believes this is a real recollection and not something that she made up or only dreamed. Regarding the original star map information, did you obtain it from a source other than a UFO? No. People from New Hampshire are typically swift and direct in their answers. Do you believe your star map story is a hoax? No. Betty, that was actually collected on television that our viewers could see. The first relevant question was, did you initially receive that star map information while on board a UFO? You, as you're nodding your head, said yes. And we see in the cardio tracing a downward movement of the blood pressure as shown by measuring blood volume. We contrast that with the question before where there was a slight upswing and more notably here in the respiration tracing we see a very long sustained suppression when you answered the control question and almost nothing happening when you answered the relevant question indicating a lack of stress or what we call a lack of reaction to the relevant question let's go to the second question the second question was a restatement of the first regarding the original star map information did you obtain it from a source other than a ufo now when you created the star map i don't believe there were any sources that could have given you those two other stars but the question is what did you believe you said no you didn't get it from a source other than a ufo and there's absolutely nothing happening here in this cardio tracing showing a lack of stress when you said no to that question but the question before we see that you're capable of significant cardio response because we see it here with this tremendous upswing here again the respiration pattern there's that suppression that we noted in the earlier question nothing happening in the relevant question let's go to the third question dealing with whether or not you believe that your story is a hoax what it says you believe your stars map story is a hoax you said no blood pressure is going down galvanic skin response shows six chart divisions and we contrast that with the question before where you had many more chart divisions in the galvanometer a significant baseline arousal in the respiration tracing putting it all together betty you believe what you're telling us and i wouldn't want to alienate an alien and say it isn't so all i can tell you is you believe what you're saying i do we now have an astronomer who backs you up i guess a whole bunch of them you can't very well describe stars that haven't been discovered without some right. kind of help we have a scientist who's a doctor who wanted to hypnosis under techniques that he believes were totally legitimate came out with this story showing at least it was in your mind it was very real you thought it had happened we have the time gap the two hours that disappeared from your lifetime until he restored them and now we have the polygraph which says you're much more disturbed by general character questions than you are my questions about the authenticity of your story we can't even with steven spielberg's help we can't produce a spacecraft but maybe someday somebody will and maybe they'll be little and gray <laughs> thank you very much Betty. It's been what an extremely fascinating lie detector it demonstrates that she at least believes that it happened not in fact that it did. Now, of course, you can't really prove that through a lie detector test, but at least to her, it happened. As we know, it's very easy to fool a lie detector test. I highly doubt that Betty Hill had done that. And we could see that with her reactions to other questions on there. I did at least want to throw this in because you never hear about how she took a lie detector test. Now, as you know, 
I'm a little torn on the Betty and Barney Hill abduction. Where there seems to be things that come up that seem extremely truthful, especially when you go back and you listen to the regression tapes. There are other large questions that come up, like Betty Hill having an interest in UFOs beforehand. But then, of course, you bring up other issues, like why would this couple being a mixed-race couple at the time bring their lives into light and make things a lot more awkward with a UFO tale that's only going to gather them more ridicule and more hatred. So I'm very torn on the Betty and Barney Hill abduction. I do think it's quite valid, even if just in a historical context. My personal beliefs on the encounter is I do, in fact, buy it. If you go back and listen to the first two podcasts I did, which is their regression tapes, you will hear why. They are very convincing. From a skeptical hypnotist who didn't ask them any leading questions, Dr. Benjamin Simon. And even though he didn't believe it, he still believed that they believed it. Which is the exact findings that we find of this lie detector test. Interesting indeed. I also found it interesting that in the common sense approach to UFOs by Betty Hill, her 1990 book, Dr. Benjamin Simon conducted more experiments with them, putting Barney Hill in another hypnotic state in which he could be fooled. He said it was completely different. It is an odd case. And I remain quite open, but also very skeptical, and approach it with a very much caution. I think it's also important to note that I am looking for more abductees for my book. So if you are an abductee, or an experiencer, and you'd like to reach out to me to be in my book, possibly, please hit me up at theufos at yahoo.com, or hit me up on Facebook, on my Abduction Enigma page. I will gladly hear you out, and listen to your abduction tale. I will not ridicule you, or be rude to you. Thank you again. With that, I'm going to let you guys go. I want to thank the Ghoulies for Hot Rods from Outer Space. I want to thank you guys for listening. And if you want to reach me, just hit me up at theufos at yahoo.com. You can hit me up on my Facebook page. If you want to share with me your UFO experience or even abduction experience, just let me know. It'll stay between us unless you want to come on the podcast. I don't like to do many interviews, but I'm willing to do that for you guys. I ask that you please rate this podcast. I only have one review up there right now. And let me know what you guys think. If you guys want to look into the Fader Disc Archives, which is where most of this audio is from, you can go to archive.org and you can find it on there. I want to thank you guys again for listening. And just remember that the UFOs want to tell us. Keep digging it.